So hello, hello everyone. Um, my name is Danny Garavelli, I'm a freelance journalist and a long-time devotee of Leonard Cohen. So um, as such, I'm quite overwhelmed to have been asked to chair this um, discussion on his life, his work, his impact on our culture and on the way we talk about mental health. It's especially poignant to be doing so just a few months after his death and at a time when our chaotic world seems to demand his wisdom so much. And we're lucky to be joined today by three people who have been inspired and comforted by his lyrics and music. Uh, closest to me we have um, Adele Bethel, singer, songwriter and, for, and front woman of the brilliant Scottish band Sons and Daughters. Adele says Cohen's music has acted as a therapy for her chronic depression and describes herself as on the good side of obsessive. We also have um, Sean Hunt, who is a poet, a psychotherapist and Buddhist monk. Um, and he's from Montreal, so you can see his life has many parallels with Cohen's. And finally, we have Gail Aldham from the Mental Health Foundation, who has found solace in Cohen's music in times of stress, I think, and also um, whose idea this whole discussion was. And in a moment, they'll be telling us what Cohen has meant to them personally. But first, just a few words on Leonard himself, just in case there are people here who aren't quite as well acquainted with him as we all are. Um, so he was born in Montreal. He was a poet before he was a musician. And his songs seem to have the power to articulate all the struggles of life, but also its splendor and its fragile beauty. He also suffered from depression, seeking comfort in drugs, religion, sex, um, alcohol, and some of his songs are influenced by his struggle to, with, with his battle with the, with the, the condition. He was Jewish and uh, retained his connection with his Jewish faith throughout, but um, in the mid-90s, when his life was spinning out of control, he joined a monastery in the hills behind Los Angeles, and he spent five years there, and he became a Buddhist monk. When he came down, the blackness that had engulfed him mysteriously lifted for a while, uh, and long before it became acceptable for celebrities to talk about mental health issues, he opened up about his own problems. So I think the first thing we're going to do is listen to a, a, a clip just so that you can hear his lovely resonant voice. <laughs> and, and the context for the clip is that it, was, um, to, it, it comes from the wake of his, um, just after he'd released the um, You Want It Darker album, which is his last album. And that um, album kind of foreshadowed his death. And he'd also given an interview to David Remnick in The New Yorker, which, in which he talked about coming to an acceptance of his own passing. But in this clip, he says he plans to live forever, which is um, a testament to his own legacy, I think, and also, uh, hopefully, to the enduring power of music generally. I said I was uh, ready to die recently, you know, and I think I was exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one is given to self-dramatization from time to time. I intend to live forever. <laughs> Do you think humour really comes across in that, doesn't it? Um, could I start with you, Adele? Would that be okay? And, and, and get you to talk a little bit maybe about how you first came into contact with Leonard Cohen's music and also how it's maybe helped you? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, the first Leonard Cohen song I ever heard was called Tower of Song and I covered it at a school concert when I was 15 and 
uh, I thought it was a song by a band from East Kilbride called The Jesus and Mary Chain because they covered it on one of their albums. Um, and it was only a couple of years later that I realised that they did not, in fact, write, write the song. Um, there's footage of that concert. I'm sure we did an incredibly faithful version of it. Uh, it was it was just I I so I knew about that song and I, and I found out about about Leonard uh, through that song in particular and then I, as a kid of as a teenager of the 90s he was featured in quite a lot of soundtracks and things at the time like Pump Up the Volume the teen film and the Oliver Stone film Natural Born Killers which has one of my favourite Leonard Cohen songs everybody knows. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I discovered them. And what about how then, you know, his music helped you personally? Because I know you, you, you suffer from depression yourself, don't you? So, um, you know, why was it particularly resonant and helpful for you beyond other music? I think it's a funny thing is, I think his voice is, I remember I, I, after I, I found out that Tower of Song was by Leonard Cohen, I, I bought songs of Leonard Cohen and I just found his voice so com comforting and... I found that, I don't know, some people put on a CD that sounds like the ocean and I'd put on a Leonard Cohen song <laughs> to calm myself down. Um, so, yeah, it's helped it's help me a huge deal, but also like his, him speaking about depression, I think, has been really important to me. I think particularly the, the clip that we're going to play. Do you want to share um, the clip of the... So it's not the best quality, this clip, oh, um, but it's the only version of it that seems to exist on the internet. Um, and also the interviewer is absolutely terrible, but what he says yes. is... Um, it's quite nice how, he, how with his f absolute politeness just kind of debunks yeah, it all without, yeah. without making her feel bad. Um, so I'll that up just uh, 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 I, I feel like I'm coming out of the closet, but uh, depression has certainly been an element that, that I've had to deal with. Uh, all through my life and uh, you know my cover story looked wonderful that you were just this bummed out artist and you had success writing songs about it you know, the guy's doing okay like what's he got to complain about you know um, nobody dealt me any bad cards but if you're manic depressive you know that's a bad card I think it just goes with the territory everybody's got something that they got to deal with that is that is rough and the solutions you sought included what? Travel, drugs, scotch, well, yeah, Prozac? Well, yeah, I still do. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, what happened was that, that somewhere along the line I understood that this question had to be addressed on the fundamental level of consciousness. You say that your cover story dealing with depression was that you were an artist you had success with your songs particularly some of the more depressing songs did you ever worry that if you dealt with the depression that you if you actually got better that you would lose touch with your artistic side that that understood that kind of pain and expressed it so well you know that's a popular notion you know that, that it is exclusively suffering that produces good work or insightful work i, I don't think that's the case I think in a certain sense it's a, it's a trigger or a lever, but I think that good work is produced in spite of suffering mm -hmm. and as a response, as a, as a victory over suffering. Yeah, why was that quite so important to you? It's Saturday night around my house. <laughs> my husband's like, please don't play that again. <laughs> take YouTube off. Um, I don't know, I just think, I thought it was really important because there's this sort of like romanticised idea about depression and that, you know, poets and artists um, 
in order to completely, you know, express yourself right and have some kind of vision, then you have to be in a really terrible place. And in, in my personal experience, that terrible place, you can't actually do anything. And I think in this clip, he sort of talks about how you can't move and you are unbalanced and you, you've, you've really got no solid way to function when, when you do have depression. Um, so that's why it's really important for me. And I, and I don't really like the idea also of like talking about songwriting as a cathartic thing either, because I think it's um, it suggests like purgatory and that you're in some way getting all this pain out through, through what you're doing. Um, um, I haven't found that at all. I think it's sometimes really impossible to write anything when you're in that state of mind. And um, I found Leonard Cohen, even even his music, not not to be cathartic, but to be like almost just like a wee like shelf to lean on along the way. More more than that, you know. And um, so, um, you, but he has influenced your own your own writing. Has it? I mean, I know that some of your um, songs come from you, you. do deal with quite dark material yourself sometimes, don't you? I know um, one of your songs was inspired by the, the uh, death of Ted Hughes's lesser-known partner, and oh, yeah. and, uh, and there's another one that's inspired by Emily Dickinson's poem, a, a Funeral in My Brain, isn't it? Um, what draws you to that material? And you said it's not cathartic, so you know, why are you kind of drawn to that material? And, and did Leonard Cohen influence any of that? It did. Um, I think there's just like you know, I think with Leonard Cohen, there's such an openness about him and, and a sort of reaching out to the human condition, and that's what I mean. That, I think that's. You, the fundamentals of depression for me have always been about not making sense of the world and I think that's what he puts together really well um, in a lot of his songs. Um, my favourite Leonard Cohen song is is Everybody Knows and it's it's really that he just kind of like shows the kind of facade um, of what I think a lot of people really you know, there's, there's an ignorance in the world um, about the suffering that goes on, and I think he put, he marries that together really well with um, how romantic relationships are founded as well, and he quite often ties the ideas together. Um, you know, and everybody knows he he talks a lot about sort of an apocalyptic vision almost of the world. It's quite anti-capitalist, but also um, he sort of uses it as a metaphor. Um, for a romantic relationship, um, where he says, you know, everybody's talking into their pockets, everybody wants a box of chocolates and a, a long stem rose, but everybody knows. Um, and that's really the sort of core of, I think, his, his work and, and the genius of his work is that there's those layers within it where, you know, he talks about everything that's important and, yeah, on so many different levels. And it keeps con it's constantly relevant, isn't it? Because I know that that particular song was played constantly at, at the Trump inauguration after it, on the day of it, wasn't it? Because it was seen as somehow extremely relevant at that point, and yet it was written. Yeah. Yeah, I think as well. Like I read that like that that song and and like that record, um, and also the record, the future are, are really important. Um, you know, in terms of sort of the times we live in, and like, I, re I read an article about Leonard Cohen where someone said that he's like a spiritual voice in an unspiritual world, and I think that's that's quite true. Yeah, absolutely.
And the, the, the song you've actually picked for us to hear a little clip of isn't um, that, though, is it? It's, um, it's uh, Dancing to the End of Love, isn't it? And I was intrigued by that because there's one line in that that when I'm really anxious, I just say over and over, and it's um, Dance Me Through the Panic Till We're Gathered Safely In. And I just find that really calming. Um, why, why did you choose it? Why did you? Uh, that, that, that song really inspired me. Um, I, it led me to, to write a song of my own called, called Dance Me In. Um, I think it's. Sorry. Um, when I first heard "Dance Me to the End of Love," I, I sort of presumed that you, you know it was really just again a, a song about love and the end of relationships and and the sadness that, that, that comes with that, the weight of it, um, and sort of. I believe the song is actually it references the Holocaust um, and and the. Well, you know, just the idea that couple, how couples were, were pulled apart. Um, it was a song that, you know, again, you see that dance beat to the panic. Um, and I think that's what he does really well, is, is, like, put everything together really well, you know, talking about the talking about the anxiety, not just of yourself, but the anxiety that the world creates as well. Um, and, yeah, I, I wrote a song called, called Dance Me, in which was a song about not willing to accept the end of a relationship, um, but wanting to be danced into it in a sort of romantic notion that um, it could feel better that way or something. It's a fantastic song. <laughs> um, do you want to play the Yeah, the clip? Play the clip. Can you hear me back there? I know that your story is quite different to Adele's and you grew up in the same district in Montreal as Leonard Cohen was from, is that right? Although he was in Greece at the time, I think. Well, I lived in it um, the same time he did when he was travelling back and forth to Greece for, for a few years, but I was brought up in Montreal too, so we share a few things in common. Uh, the accent and the hat, but... It's uh, <laughs> a good hat. <laughs> Musically and uh, poetically. He called himself a minor poet. I call myself an imperceptible poet. <laughs> and, uh, I'm musically challenged. I barely get by with a four-string ukulele. So. But when you were very young, you listened to his music all the time, is that right? 
Yeah, I started in 1968 in Montreal, listening to him religiously. You know, every I, I drove people crazy because that's all I played was Leonard, Leonard, Leonard. Um, and uh, I, I just like like you, I really tuned in. I really enjoyed the sound of his voice and, and the energy and, and the message. It was, it was a subtle message, which if you're clued into Leonard Cohen, you 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 you, you just get it. I've thought a lot about Leonard. I think there are two responses to him. I have some, pe- some people who hate Leonard Cohen, you know, just can't stand him, in one category. And other people love him, like us. And uh, there's a difference between those two people, I think, that um, in, 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 the, in the world there, there are people who sort of embrace the suffering that we experience, under- want to understand it, want to come to terms with it, and see it clearly, and, and surf it you know, in life. And there's another group of people that want to you know, sort of pretend it's not there and, and have this romantic view of what relationships and life is like. And I think that manifests in our tastes towards mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen. So, I mean, there was a time when you weren't listening to him so much, wasn't there? And then, and then you, you were living quite a hedonistic lifestyle, is that right? And then you kind of went off on a spiritual self, search yourself, is that? Yeah, he, he was sort of the background of my life when I was a, living a hedonistic life, looking, looking for answers in pleasure after communism, LSD, and a bunch of other things. Um, I got serious about pleasure. And then psychotherapy, I became a trained psychotherapist, and I thought all the answers were there. And... I was coincidentally a hedonist and a psychotherapist for a long time, and Leonard was really a back, backdrop to my life because you know, he was a soundtrack. Um, but then I became a Buddhist monk and uh, stopped listening to music and sold my guitars, sold, sold my Harley Davidson in Toronto, and, and uh, became a monk, and I stopped listening to music. I gave my guitars to my son, I think, and uh, didn't listen to them for but music at all for 10, 12 years. Then I did a retreat in Scotland in the Forest of A. And at the end of my retreat, which is a year and a half, a solitary retreat, a friend from Canada sent me a, a letter saying that Leonard was a monk. And I d- didn't even know he was a monk. But he was a monk in Los Angeles in a Zen monastery. And I was in Scotland in the Forest of A. So when I came out of my retreat, I went and bought the CD and started listening to Leonard again very seriously. And then I bought another guitar and started writing songs. So... Our, our lives paralleled in, in very bizarre ways because when I came down the my mountain, he came down his mountain and became an ordinary person. He wrote a song called Back on Boogie Street. That's what that's about. And uh, when he came down the mountain, he hooked up with a, an exotic and lovely and very young Hawaiian jazz singer. And when I came down my mountain, which that mountain was in Spain, I hooked up with a, an exotic and lovely, talented Spanish jazz singer for a couple of years. They tolerated us for a couple of years and uh, sort of graced our, our later lives. So we've had some very, very strange parallel experiences. Yeah. And then, of course, you went on to write poetry yourself, um, and some of that poetry was inspired by, by Leonard Cohen, wasn't it? And I think some of it's dedicated to him, is that right? I think all of my sort of creative... Um, energies have been, have been inspired by Leonard. I'll just read one very quick one, if you don't mind. It's called Leonard the Elder. In graceful golden age, his spirit gentle as a lamb, his steady smile attentive and dry, an appreciation of each moment, a quiet steady contemplation 
of unspoken secrets punching the bottom line. He would share it if he could, if we really would understand the tickling truth freezing his face into a perpetual grin. So, um, the thing about Leonard, he's a, he's a fantastic poet, you know, he, he, and, and writer, he's a novelist too. And we all appreciate his, his music, music, his poetry, his, everything he's done as an artist, a songwriter especially. But for me, the more important accomplishments of Leonard Cohen are um, spiritual accomplishments because he's become sort of a, a very advanced human being. You know, he shows generosity, humility, qualities that um, you know, many of us are still striving to, to attain. <laughs> uh, generosity of spirit, uh, carefulness. A precision in relationships, you know, he's very, very careful when he's dealing with anybody that he doesn't cause any suffering and that, and that he communicates accurately what's going on in his, in his, in his process. So for me, he's, he's a human being that should be modeled. Do you think, like what Adele touched on about, um, you know, a spiritual being in a, in a non-spiritual world, that as we become more secular... Perhaps um, we're hungering for something that isn't organized religion, but, but is still spiritual, and he provides some, some of that then. Yeah, I think even organized religion is looking for the same things, you know, as, as all seekers, you know. It's, it's uh, an understanding what's it all about, you know, who am I, what is this reality I'm experiencing, and how do I surf it, how do I manage it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he is probably the best answer to those questions within the modern pop world. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the clip that you've chosen relates very closely to that, doesn't it? Because, well, I didn't really understand it completely, but it's, it's almost like an allegory in a Buddhist work, is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a song that very few people know uh, of Leonard's, uh, called The Ballad of the Absent Mary. He wrote it, I think, around the mid-70s, when he began studying Buddhism, and it's a Zen um, analogy about the whole process of coming to terms with your mind, understanding it, finding it, subduing it, and directing it. This is the purpose of what, this is what monks do, you know, generally. And it's what, um, what Leonard was starting to do at that point. So he took that song, and, and, and there's a pictorial, Zen pictorial uh, progression of, of a man trying to tame an ox. So for the West, he converted the ox into a horse. So he wrote the ballad, he converted into a song called The Ballad of the Absent Mare. We'll only listen to a few verses of it, but I think it'll give you a, a taste for what that is all about. and flood and the roads are awash and the bridges break up in the panic of loss and there's nothing to follow there's nowhere to go she's gone like the summer 
gone like the snow And the crickets are breaking his heart with their song As the day caves in And the night is all wrong Sorry again for the abrupt ending. <laughs> I think that was great because I've never heard that before you mentioned it. I'd never heard that. The last two to introduced a new one now. The last two lines of that song, as the day caves in and the night's all wrong. I mean, that pretty well <laughs> summarizes <laughs> the, the drama we're all experiencing, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. Um, Gail, you again have a different story and a different, different connections, don't you? you, you came, you know, the Leonard Cohen for you brings back your childhood quite a lot, isn't that right? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I feel like I should start with a disclaimer that I rarely, rarely ever sit on this side of the table, but when we decided to do a session about Leonard Cohen, I couldn't not, um, as a kind of, yeah, I'll use your line, just the right side of obsessive <laughs> as well, um, through the years. Um, so I, um, yeah, Leonard Cohen was really part of kind of my childhood listening, I guess, kind of in my consciousness. My parents were massive fans. Um, my dad especially, he um, he was at the kind of historic Isle of Wight festival where, where he played in the 70s, I think. Um, and yeah, so I, I, his music was part of my life before I really understood what it meant. I just remember kind of being slightly fascinated by his voice and by certain lyrics as well. Anytime I hear the um, tea and oranges line from Suzanne, it really brings back childhood memories and kind of a fascination with what that meant. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of just in my consciousness. I didn't really know about Leonard Cohen or not at that stage, but, but when I was a teenager, um, my mum was kind of working at nights and we had a fantastic kind of cassette tape collection um, all across one wall and I, I would spend nights um, kind of exploring that and listening to various different music and more often than not that would end on um, various Leonard Cohen albums and that was where my obsession kind of peaked a little bit I guess. Um, and, and then kind of ch chatting to my mum about what the music meant to her and the kind of tied up and my, my mum and dad had separated and kind of tied up in, in those feelings for her and, and depression that she had gone through and certain lyrics that really meant a lot to her as well. So, um, yeah, I guess from then on have kind of um, followed his work and... And, and for me, I think, as, as somebody who's not an artist, um, so I'm, I have quite a different experience from both of you, um, it was... I guess kind of um, it was powerful for me to have somebody kind of put into words kind of thoughts and feelings that I didn't have the artistic ability to to do that so it was kind of um, I guess that was kind of an outlet for me as well so listening to his music in that way yeah, yeah we, we t talked about how he gets called the godfather of gloom and the poet laureate of pessimism or whatever but <laughs> yeah. for you his music was was never bleak do you th do you no think? I've never I mean I kind of get that and I can I can see where it comes from but I actually find his music um, yeah, some of you will be um, probably rolling your eyes a bit, but I have found his music really uplifting, um, and it, it really makes me feel good. There's well, there's kind of two sides of it. I guess there's there's also something that makes me feel good in in that kind of, I guess almost wallowing and and allowing yourself to go to a place where you're kind of facing what you're feeling and and have someone put that into words, and that does make me feel really good. And but also, um, I mean, his his lyrics are humorous, and there's there's a lot of humor in his songs that comes through and and in his interviews as well. And and so yeah, I I always find him a very uplifting person. Is there a wee clip about him talking about that? Yeah. Let's find that. <coughs> My, my friends always thought I had a sense of humor. I'm, you know, 
uh, I, I got um, I got the reputation, and I think it's it's not altogether illegitimate uh, um, because my songs were about st stressful conditions, uh, sometimes with no resolution. Uh, uh, I think a lot of them had a dark feeling. Um, I hope that that the writing of the song penetrated the darkness somehow, but for a lot of people it didn't. So I understand that I got labeled as a depressed, uh, pessimistic sort of guy. And, um, yeah, sorry, so, so you had, you'd ex you experienced a little bit of stress yourself, did you? And was it helpful yeah, to so listen kind to of, him then? Um, yeah, sort of late last year, um, around about when You Want It Darker um, came out, I um, went through a, a fairly difficult time and really kind of lent on that album and it's become my favourite of all his albums and really kind of the, I don't know, it's, it, it is very dark but also really kind of powerful and um, really kind of reaches a, a certain place in me um, and yeah, listened to that a lot and then obviously when he died and the, the kind of election and, and all of that and, and his lyrics really seem to speak to all of that as well and, and so yeah, that, that album's become something I suppose quite cathartic for me listening to that um, yeah, it's, it's one I of the I think Steer Your Way is almost written yeah. for it as if, <laughs> as if he knew what was going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that he was kind of foreshadowing, his, like you said earlier, kind of foreshadowing his own kind of end and death as well. Like I found, you know, the session earlier um, that we had about kind of living well and dying well and kind of dealing with death in a certain way and he really seemed to have that. He talked from, from being kind of... Um, probably kind of in the 90s and, and being in his 60s, he, he talked a lot about death, you know, in the, the Tower of Song and um, really seemed to kind of have an acceptance of that process, I suppose. And you've picked yourself um, a track that meant something to your mum and to you, is that right? Yeah, so for me, um, So Long Marianne, which is kind of a, a classic, I suppose, but um, there was a specific line in that song, the um, I'm standing on a ledge and my fine spider web is fastening your ankle to a stone which um, had a real resonance for my mum when she was going through a lot of, um, you know, when she was going through depression and, and struggles and kind of their relationships as well. Um, and yeah, again, just that, that kind of lyric always um, kind of resonates with me, I guess. So I will find that. Like, 
a lot of Leonard Cohen's songs and lyrics, it has meanings on lots of different levels. And I think, um, yeah, specifically, I, I guess it relates to mental health and depression and kind of crisis. But also, I think for um, my mum, it was related to the kind of hanging on to um, a relationship, but also kind of linked to her depression as well. And yeah, just um, it, it was a line that we kind of tossed back and forward in our kind of family chat um, around the time that Leonard Cohen had died and kind of talking about what that had, had meant. Um, so, yeah. I've just realised I didn't ask you, and I should have asked all of you, um, who's seen, who actually seen him. I know you have Adele live, performing live, yeah. Um, has, everybody, has everybody apart from me here seen him live? Yeah. Yeah. First time I saw him was in 1968, four in the morning. <laughs> I, yes. Went, yes. I went to a Greek diner in the neighbourhood <laughs> with a lady that I was living with on my arm and, and sat down. Nobody else was in the little restaurant, and he walked in with his lady, sat down in the adjacent booth, and he looked worse than I did, which was quite a feat in those days. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we didn't talk. I was pre-verbal. I think you know, he was not in, not in very good shape. Either. <laughs> but then I, I'd never seen him until 2009. And then when he started his tour, he started uh, over here in Dublin. I was in Dublin for three successive nights to see him. And one of those nights was front row, front row center. So. Yeah, I really did get to see him. I got a feast of Leonard for, for that fe that year, anyways. That's fantastic. And you, Adele, you've seen him several times, haven't you? I did see him a few times. Uh, the first time I saw him was at Edinburgh Castle, which was really special because they lit the castle. Um, he, he, he came on and then there was, a, there was a break and he came back on and they lit the castle and he came back on and played Who By Fire. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that was... <laughs> uh, I saw him. I saw him a few times. As I saw him in Berlin at the Waldbühne, where I mean it was just amazing because it's an old Nazi amphitheater, and he, he, you know, at the moment he sang him, "I'm the little Jew who wrote the Bible," the whole crowd just went oh. insane, um, and everybody just was like, once he said that, everyone just like got down off their seats, you know. I mean, I I, I must say that I was one of the younger people there, even though I'm 41. Um, Everybody just got down and was like, Bleh. it was it was great. It was it was just it was, yeah. I, I, and I've seen him. I've seen him in Glasgow as well, and I've seen him um, in Brighton as well. I've travelled around. I mean, it's it's a shame because I think a lot of young people couldn't really go and see Leonard play because it was just so much money. Um, and I think these days when you try and get tickets and especially to like for front row tickets, you, you know it's it is quite an expensive venture to go and see someone so, <laughs> yeah. so amazing. Um, I just had to, I, I knew that I was in, and definitely had chosen the right person to marry when he said, we don't have to go on holiday this year, we can spend it. <laughs> when I had to go on tickets, and I was like, great. <laughs> yeah, so I saw him, um, I think it was, well, perhaps it was, I always think 2008, but perhaps it was the 2009 tour in Glasgow. I, um, I can't quite remember now, but um, me and my mum went to see him, um, and yeah, incredible, really, um, just a really incredible live show, really polished, and um, I always think he's someone whose voice just got better and better and better with age as well, like his voice on the You Want It Darker album is and his my favourite. I'd like to say. Yeah, yes, and his looks, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, his, and yeah, lots of special moments in the concert, but I always love um, and again, I always, I always look back on that clip um, when he sings Tower of Song 
and when he was born with the gift of the golden voice and everybody just goes mad, it's brilliant, that's <laughs> really, um, I found that really powerful. So yeah, really um, incredible to get to see him. And actually this year I was in Greece and went to Hydra as well, which was really amazing. So kind of managed to track down his house with some slightly shaky directions on Google. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of nice to see, it was just really humble and it wasn't a tourist spot and there was, you know, um, obviously there was kind of markers of people had left flowers and things, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a nice thing to do. But, but still authentic enough to feel yeah. the spirit. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, <clears throat> so I think we're going to take some questions in a minute, but if it's just, could I ask you a lot, just one, one more um, question, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Um, just, we talked about how him talking about depression helped you, but more generally, you know, it's become more common, hasn't it? You know, more people are opening up, more celebrities, and I, and you, I think you'd mentioned Carrie Fisher particularly. You know, do you think it's it's you know that's become a really good thing for people to to be able to hear people talk about it, to keep the stigma away a bit? And I think everyone has to talk about it if they have it. I think it's, I think it's certainly in this day and age when when things are. You know, we have kind of like quite a contrast in culture where we're sort of quite open about talking about a lot of things, but then not really the important things sometimes. And that kind of creates a depression almost, a depression in people. And, um, you know, I find like a lot of social media, is, you know, to be quite strange in a way. Um, you know, the idea that all your friends are there, but you can't really mm-hmm. say exactly what you feel. Yeah. Um, so I think it's you know, I, and I always think of that that line Leonard Cohen said, where, you know, you your private life will suddenly explode, um, and I don't know, it's just yeah, it's we we live in quite strange times, and I think I think it's marvelous that people want to speak about it, mm-hmm. um, it's there, um, all good art is usually talks about it. Um, so why not have much more of an open discourse about it? It's pointless otherwise. Um, and you must, I think anyone with depression suffers from at least some kind of form of like loneliness and, and therefore talking about it is the only way to, to sort of, you know, touch something. Um, and I don't, in saying that, I don't want it to become cool to talk about yeah, it. Because I think that's what happens sometimes culturally as well. Like, um, I don't know. I'm just saying this because I'm such an anti-royalist and Prince Harry came out and spoke about <laughs> depression last week. <laughs> um, but, I, yeah, I, I, do think, I do think it's really important. Um, I, wh- why are people embarrassed about talking about it? Why is there embarrassment about it? I have no idea. You know, 71% of musicians suffer from depression. There aren't that many of them really talking about it, and, mm-hmm. and they should. So, so, in fact, it's not enough yet? Yeah. And I don't think so. Yeah. I, th- I think we're still kind of surprised, like, oh, this person has depression, you know? And, and I don't... I, what, you know, I, th- I think a lot... Certainly, maybe it's just me, but my friend circle's got a lot of yeah. people that suffer from mm-hmm. it, and... I, you know, I, I think a lot of people do, or at least some level of mental no, health yeah. issue. You know, John, do you that how you feel as well? I don't know. I have sort of a strange connection with depression. I was when I was a therapist, I worked with a lot of people who had depression, manic depression, all sorts of you know, dual diagnosis, addiction problems too, and and I thought I knew something about it, I understood something about it, but I didn't, and until. It was 2003, I had a car accident, and for the first time I experienced depression. 
and uh, I realized that you know I, I couldn't understand what these people had experienced, what their life was like, because I hadn't. It's like the taste of chocolate, you know. If you not taste it, you can't explain it. It's something you have to experience. And there's a word called anhedonia. I used to be a hedonist. I talk a lot about being a hedonist and hedonist pursuits in life. And depression, when I did understand it, I understood that there's a Greek word called anhedonia. It's the opposite of hedonism. It's the inability to experience pleasure from anything. You know? And until you've experienced that inability to enjoy the air you breathe, the, you know, the, the city you see, the people who are around you, the smells that you normally smell, until you've experienced that absence of enjoyment, of pleasure, you can't understand it. So, as much as we talk about it, I think there's a limit. You know, it can be beneficial, but we can never give other people a clear understanding of what, what it is, what the depression is. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much. And do you think we should open up for yeah. some yeah. questions? Um, yeah, thank, thanks for a um, great panel discussion. I just wanted to comment on the importance of the artists talking about depression, because I often find out that people can relate when they've got something in common with the person um, who is talking about depression. So it's, in, it's interesting that one of the speakers said his life paralleled him. And I find that when you're talking to young folk or young men, there's often this belief and some research that sometimes a lot of depression in young men doesn't come out in the traditional way. And sometimes you have what you call a gender-specific presentation of depression. So an example, you find a lot of young men in the criminal justice system who might be suffering from depression, not necessarily clinical depression, but it comes out in the form of, of, of the social acts, um, low mood, and self-medication with drugs. And that's why, for me, I find it useful being a hip-hop fan, someone like Tupac Shakur has these lyrics called Shed So Many Tears. And it's really interesting because he describes depression, in fact, a quite severe depression, but it's almost done in a way which is accessible to a lot of men who would not relate to maybe the anhedonic symptoms or, or being tearful or pessimism. It's done in... the, the best way I can describe it is almost like a thug depression. And I'm, again, I'm not glamorizing depression, but it's just a way in which the lyrics express the depression in the context of people in an urban, hard environment where you've got to be a man to speak. And I, I think there's, we need to be doing more work along that, really. Thanks. It's funny because we were talking earlier about how um, Stormzy is one of the latest people to come out and talk about depression and that, that's been a great thing I think for people in that who, who, who are interested in grime. Um, do, who, wants to, who wants to take that on? I was just going to say a little something about um, what the, I guess the work that we do um, through the Arts Festival and the wider arts programme around um, a lot of it kind of, ex, um, I guess the, the reason for it in a way is um, that arts are such a powerful means of, of telling stories 
and um, you know, creating empathy and um, understanding about mental health. And you know, one of the, the core aims for us is kind of challenging perceptions and um, challenging narratives of mental health. And, and I think the arts, whether it's um, music and lyrics or um, a theatre production or a film, are, are such a powerful means of kind of getting those stories across. Yourself, I just think it's interesting to hear anyone talk about it. Um, I think that's the thing with depression. It's not, I think actually, um, sort of culturally we shouldn't really or talk about it in terms of really of gender or of what culture you come from if you have it you have it um, and that kind of you know that idea of it, it doesn't you know it doesn't discriminate really um, it, it's always there it's there within anyone um, and it's something I've thought about quite a lot because people sometimes say you know, especially I think just relating it to this, like talking about a person who we 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 have loved, like Leonard Cohen, who's passed away. Um, I saw a lot of grief shaming on on a lot of social media. Um, we've seen a lot of celebrities pass away recently, um, and it's all kind of relative. It's not. I really hate the term middle class problems. Um, I don't like putting things into different boxes. Um, I think everybody should just talk about this. Um, it's something within the human condition. It is no, there's no discriminatory factors whatsoever. Um, I think that's. I think what you just said is is really important. Um, yes, whatever, what you're interested in culturally and where you've been brought up and what you, um, is important, but ultimately the the feelings of depression and the the pain that comes from it is basically not it, it, those factors sometimes have nothing to do with it and I think that's quite an important concept as well um, just talking about it more generally more um, openly um, where any sort of cultural reference really doesn't have anything to do with the idea of depression I think is really important I hear what you're saying that with, dep with clinical depression, but one thing's clear, certain cultures are not willing to discuss it. So I'll give you an example. There is research to show yeah. that in certain cultures, depression is expressed with somatic symptoms. Like where I come from in Africa, um, in Nigeria, Initially, in terms of depression, there was a lot of expression of depression through somatic symptoms. So people would describe having things like a burning sensation on their back or with other somatic, somatic symptoms like headaches or stuff. So if you ask people, are you depressed? In my language, there isn't a word for that. We describe depression as the absence of happiness or thinking too much. Does, does that make sense? Now, as societies become more Western, in Nigeria, people are actually using the word depressed. So there has to be a recognition that in certain cultures or genders, yes, depression is universal, but it can be expressed differently. And if we're serious about reaching difficult communities, you know, we have to understand how this depression or different mental disorders are expressed. That, that, that's my point. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, I mean it, it is that thing, and isn't it? It's the, the human condition. It's not really to do with where you're from or what has happened to you, 
you know, that's the whole point of the whole thing. It's 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 between you and I. It's between everyone here. It's between anyone that's experienced it. You know, that's where the pain comes from. It's not particularly political or cultural. Um, I understand what you're saying um, about Western culture. Um, I just think it is a real universal thing where when when we have the the resolution seems to be just talking about it. I mean, it, I know it sounds really simple, but just everyone speaking about it. Thank you. Is, is there, does anybody else have any questions? I want to see if we can get in a, a you know a, a couple if, if people are. Sorry, I just wanted to um, I suppose connect because I I do I suppose I really hear what you're saying as well, and and it's about acceptance that it should be an open forum. Um, I suppose I just connect a little bit like about. Um, it's almost like sometimes people have different, um, I suppose it's like languages really, it's like we don't all speak the same language in the world, so sometimes we have to learn different languages to learn, learn how to uh, get that um, conversation started. And I think that's a bit what it is, maybe about what's the Mao language in this social class to speak about that. Does that make more sense? Because it's, 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 it's okay to say, yeah, but we should all just speak about it. But it's like, well, some people haven't got that language. How do we create that language? A lot of it's this open door. Like, how do we create that? What are the barriers and what are the boundaries? And then how can we connect that a bit? Because it's, it's not just as simple as, yeah, we should just talk about it. That, that's what I think it's more about, really, I think, in a, in a sense. But I understand what you're saying, that it isn't uh, a, a discriminative thing. And it does exist for everyone in the same kind of polarity. I really connect with that. So, yeah. I do, I do, but it's it's really unfortunate that um, certain things are pushed upon certain countries, uh, certain cultures, certain um, ideas where where you're not allowed to really speak about it. And I think we live again. You know, that's why we're here talking about Leonard Cohen. We're talking about the idea that um, <laughs> the world's a pretty messed up place, and it and it gives you more, you know it gives certain freedoms to certain people. Um, it's, it's okay for me to sit here as a white woman in an arts centre talking about this. Um, and perhaps, you know, there are more important things to talk about perhaps on a different level, in a different place, in a different culture. Um, it's, really, it's really difficult. I mean, but I think the fundamentals of it are kind of simple. And the idea of it is, is quite simple and it is purely that, I mean, I have... Well, I don't know, we don't have another two hours for me to speak about my theories on the world. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's it, people are put in certain positions, um, but I think everyone universally has the human feelings, which can be suffering from depression and suffering from really severe feelings of that. Um, and I, I do genuinely think it is... I, I, I talk about absolute and utter expression and, and, and just humanity in general um, and ignore politics, ignore hierarchy um, it's nothing to do with it, it's to do with us sitting today even just having a conversation about it um, you know, there's a great quote from Lena Cohen love is the only engine of survival it's true and um, try and ignore 
the other horrible factors that perhaps infiltrate your life culturally, politically, they're not important. Um, the important thing is discussing this and just having an open talk about it. So, um, are there any other questions? I just just like to say, um, as an environmentalist, does any of the panelists feel with environmental degradation, this is leading to mental degradation? Um, because it, I've, I've suffered from depression on and off, but nothing severe as you panelists and probably people in this room, luckily. Um, that's just, I'm wondering, because the planet is falling to pieces and there's wars happening everywhere. So obviously people are going to get mental health issues. How would you address the issue? Thank you. Sean, do you have Something I didn't uh, understand the question clearly, Sorry. so perhaps... It was about, I think it was about the connection between an environmental degradation and, um, and mental health. And um, do you want to say... Uh, uh, and, uh, go on. Can I jump in? So just to say, um, some of the sessions that we've had throughout the day as well, so the kind of opening session where we were talking about art in a, in a time of anxiety and kind of responses to that. And um, yeah, certainly I think... Um, I, so I, I, I get what you're saying about the, the kind of universality of um, the, the kind of depression, but also kind of recognising in, in the work that we do, and I'm looking at Linda and, and thinking about the, the work that you do in the NHS as well, and recognising that with, with certain kind of mental illness, there's, um, you know, the recognition that social factors and um, kind of trauma and things like that can definitely um, kind of increase or oh, you could articulate it better, Linda, but, you know, can um, in increase the likelihood of um, mental illness, maybe not necessarily d just depression, but um, other mental illness as well. And so I, I think it's still important to look at, like you're saying, social and environmental factors. Um, I don't have a solution to that. Um, I wish I did. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what, what the answer is, um, other than, I guess, like you're saying, to, to really try and... Um, be open and, and take care of ourselves and, and look out for each other and continue having these sorts of conversation and sharing stories and um, using art to kind of um, challenge some of these issues as well. I do have a, a point, quick point I can make on that, I think. Um, when we're born, when we come, come into the planet, when we're, we're born, we don't come in with a smile on our face and laughing and, and, and enjoying. We, we cry and we scream. And I think that's an indication, it's like a, a prediction of what life is. And this is what Leonard Cohen's work is about. It's pointing at the degree of suffering that we experience. And the only happiness we can, we can attain is actually learning how to surf that suffering, how to manage it, how to cope with it, how to, how to not get overwhelmed by it. So environmental, I think it's important, of course, that we have air we can breathe and, and, and uh, you know, good water to drink, etc. But I don't think that's, that, that's going to solve the problem. You know, there, there's a, a degree of suffering in our existence that we really need to come to terms with and learn about and learn how to personally cope with it. And um, Leonard fortunately did, after many, many years of seeking, he found, I think, good answers because he was quite happy when he died and resolved with everybody. Yeah, there was a lovely quote at the end of that David Remnick interview, wasn't there, that talked about um, the, the, the voice in his head that had been telling him that it had been kind of making him worry all his life had eased off right at the end, had been more compassionate, I think he said, at that time of his life. Than he said the judge, the judge the stopped, judge, the, yeah. the, the person, the, that voice behind that was saying, that you're not good enough here, you're not, you're not getting it right. That doesn't have much to do with the environment, you know, that's kind of a, an inherent 
problem we have in humanity, basically. Does anyone else have a question? Yeah, yeah well, we're, we're pretty much at time. Anyway. Are we? Are we just over time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that went very fast. <laughs> thank you. It's great. Well, so all that's left for me is to say thank you to, to Adele and Sean and Gail, and uh, thank you to all of, of you. I think it's been absolutely fascinating for me and such a luxury to be allowed to spend an hour just talking about your favourite artist. I guess, I mean, Adele doesn't like the word catharsis, but I guess we kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, works of art that have, um, that, that recognise human suffering and are looking for some way to find accommodation with it, um, provide us at least with support or, 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 or comfort. Um, so thank you very, very much.